Welcome to another episode of Romans, where we are now embarking on chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 20, entitled, The Badge. Before we begin, let's start off with a video clip. So sit back, relax, enjoy the clip, and we'll be right back. badge so they'll know you're a policeman. about the police doing bad things, i.e. corruption, whether it be like in the movie LA Confidential or the use of excessive force as you hear in the news or discriminatory tactics, militarization, racism, sex scandals, or sexual abuse. When you hear that the very police force you depend on do such things, what goes on in your mind. Well, if you're like me, whenever I encounter news like this, I would be shocked in disbelief, angry sometimes too, and even betrayed. Why do I say betrayed? Because not only did I pay my tax dollars to support them, no, I entrusted our local law enforcement to uphold the law but I also expected those people who uphold the law, who enforce the law, to also obey the law themselves. Or how else can you trust them? How else can you trust the law? Should they not be held even more accountable since they should know better? Since they swore an oath to uphold and protect their citizens according to the law? They made a promise to society, did they not? To govern authorities that you know, they would do such a thing that they would protect the very society and uphold the law. Or, not saying that they are doing this, but I'm just using an example here. Are they just flashing their badges just to uh, exploit their entitlements of what the badge entails or what the badge gives them? Maybe meal discounts and the privilege to race through red lights just because they flashed their sirens. Again, 
I'm just using a hypothetical example in which, by the way, Paul does the same thing to start off with our passage today. I'm not saying that the law authorities are doing that, but that's what comes to mind when we hear about police caught doing bad things, right? That we would think that they're just exploiting the privileges that the badge entitles them. We would conclude that the police badge means nothing to the police if the police do not live according to what the badge stands for. Agree? So, what's my point for today? Well, for those of you who are Christians, I would say this goes the same for Christianity. What are our badges? I can name three off the top of my head. Baptism, communion, and Sunday worship, i.e. Sabbath. These mean nothing if we do not live according to what these badges stand for. And unfortunately, there are many times we fall short in living according to what these badges stand for. Ooh, fall short. For those keeners out there, you may, not, you may know what Roman passage I'm referring to. And unfortunately, the Jews, they too have badges as well. Circumcision, Sabbath, and the Torah. Those mean nothing if they do not live according to what those badges stand for. So, everyone, Paul says, whether you're a Jew, whether a Jewish Christian, or a Gentile Christian, all of us have fallen short many times in living according to what our badges expect from us. And therefore, thanks be to God, His righteousness, His faithfulness to the promise he made regardless of our countless failures. By his grace and his righteousness and faithfulness, he sent Jesus to provide us a way to fulfill the expectations of our badges by faith. And not only that, but through our faithfulness in Jesus, our continual faithfulness in Jesus, we are empowered and given the power through his spirit to strive and live according to our badges' expectations. Now, just a review. The Book of Romans, or the letter to the Church of Rome, was written because there was a conflict between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. When the Jewish Christians came back from exile, they saw what the Gentile Christians were doing and said, hey, they're sinning. And they're disobeying God because they're not practicing or respecting Jewish traditions, i.e. their badges as God's chosen people, such as circumcision and the Torah. Gentile Christians are saying back, replying back to the Jewish Christians, saying that the Jewish badges no longer applies. In fact, there's no point in being a Jew. Jew, if you want to know how it came to this, Just go back to the previous two sermons to get caught up. So that's the conflict between Jewish Christians, they're Christians, and Gentile Christians. Both are Christian, having conflict inside a church. All right, let's start off with chapter 2, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and distinguish the things that matter, being instructed from the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, 
You, therefore, who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is, is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? The name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. All right. Now, remember what I said about being hypothetical? For some of our viewers and listeners out there who may be police officers, did it kind of irk you when I said that you were exploiting your badge entitlements where, you know, you got get your donut discounts or meal discounts at Tim Hortons or White Spot with just by flashing your badge or your, you get to race through the red lights because you get to turn on your sirens? Did that irk you? Because I didn't say that you were doing it. I just wanted to get your attention. And that's exactly what Paul did here. This is how Paul teaches. He uses a straw man and hypothetical examples to just get your attention because he knows that you're not doing it per se. He knows that majority of the Jews do not rob temples, commit adultery or idolatry, etc. Or steal, for instance, because I'm sure many of us Christians would say, oh, I'm not a person that steals. I'm a law-abiding citizen. Yet we all know that we are fallen and we are very sinful, irregardless of whether we're a law-abiding citizen or not. And so Paul here wants to hit it home. He uses a straw man of hyperboles to prove his point because what he's trying to do here is that just like the corrupt police officers and just like Christians who cannot live up to the badges, the Jews here are not living up to one of their badges, which is the law, the Torah. Interestingly, Paul quotes from Isaiah to conclude this passage. It goes like this in verse 50, chapter 55, verse 5. What is this? asked the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation. My name is blasphemed all day long. Craig Keener said this about this quote in his commentary. In the context of Isaiah 52.5, God's name was blasphemed among Gentiles because of his people's suffering. Here, Paul complains God is blasphemed because of their sin. What does this mean then? Well, let's go back to the example of the police officers. If you recall the widely publicized murder of George Floyd in Minnesota in the hands of police officers, do you guys remember that? It was very recent. What happened? Who or what got blasphemed when the police officers, officers murdered George Floyd? Well, what really got blasphemed was the rule of law, the government, and all who swore to protect the law and their citizens, i.e. the police officers. People started to disregard the law and began looting because if the law meant nothing for the police officers, well, it means nothing to them. Quote from Trevor Noah. If the police officers can't even live according to the law that they are to enforce, why should the people do the same? The social contract was broken when George Floyd was murdered. Here, God gave the law to the Jews, the very law that contained the covenant and the very law that represented the holiness of God. The Jews were entrusted to live by it, but because of their rebellion against the law and turning away from it time and time again, because they didn't trust and obey God, God is blasphemed. 
Why could, why would foreign nations take God seriously if the Jews didn't take their God seriously? Now, just to bring it home to us Christians, why would I take your Christianity seriously if you don't take it seriously and live up to those expectations? Same question. We are blaspheming God in our own way too. So not just the Jews. Paul is really talking to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians here. Let's move on with another Jewish badge, circumcision. Verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a violator of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God." Circumcision was an outward badge to identify the chosen people of God, i.e. the Jews. However, circumcision also carried expectations of how they should live just like our Christian badges of baptism, communion, and worship. Circumcision came with the expectation that the Jews would trust and obey God and fulfill God's given role to them. What was that, if you recall, in Genesis? That through their trust and obedience to God, they were to be a light, the messenger to deliver the good news that God is the true God and desires all humans to return to him. They are to usher all nations into God's presence. However, because of their distrust and disobedience, they didn't. They failed miserably. Instead, they saw circumcision as a sign of entitlement. It gave them special privileges to be God's chosen people without fulfilling the responsibilities of God's chosen people. Let me say that again. They were thinking that that being God's chosen people, to have this circumcision, it's just a sign of entitlement. It gave them special privileges to be God's chosen people without fulfilling the responsibilities of God's chosen people. It's sort of like the reason why some become a Christian. I hear that some reasons are, one reason anyway, is to have their child get into a Christian private school because really, they only wanted to get their child to a private school and Christian private schools are cheaper than Crofton or St. George's. So do they really have any intent in living out the Christian life and what those badges entail? No, they're just there to fulfill the badges of communion, baptism, and regular worship services, do the drill, and maybe some small groups just so that their child can be in a Christian private school. For the Jewish Christians, they told Paul that the Gentile Christians were not the chosen people of God because they're not circumcised. Yet Paul tells them no. The chosen people of God are those who live according to what circumcision expects from them, i.e. live according to the law. Therefore, if anyone lives up to the expectations of circumcision, i.e. they live according to the law, then they too are called chosen people of God, i.e. they too can be called Jews. So it doesn't have to be ethnic Jews. 
You're a Jew if you do what is according to the law. What? How is that possible? How can a Gentile Christian live according to the law when they were never brought up in the law or received the law in written form? How can you and I, who's last time I checked down there, is not a Jew, clearly, how can we live according to the law when we never had the law to begin with, when we were never given the law from the Mount Sinai down to us in written form? How do we do that? How do we live according to the law if we don't have it? Because if indeed, Paul, you're saying we Jewish Christians are not living according to the law, like the Jewish Christians would say, the question will become, how can one be God's chosen then? That's when Paul concludes this passage by quoting Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So the, back to the question again. How can Gentile Christians become the chosen people of God if they did not initially receive the written law in written form and practice all the rituals that are the badges of God's chosen people? Traditionally, how can they? There are moments in my lifetime that the Holy Spirit convicts me. Some of those times are when Christians, who may not have been a Christian as long as I have, I've been a Christian all my life, but I know many Christians who just became a Christian like a year ago. Uh, some Christians don't even go to church as often as I do, or regularly for that matter. and. Some Christians aren't even baptized or have gone to regular Bible studies or small groups or BSFs or Alpha courses. You know, those various badges that Christians have to think that they have to have. When I see these Christians who may not have all the badges that I have do stuff that I should be doing, that I know I should be doing, but they're doing it more, or not do stuff that I'm doing, but I know I shouldn't be doing because I should know better, since I've done a lot of more Bible studies than they did, that's when, and I should know better not to do those things, but I still do it. That's when I'm convicted. Seeing other Christians who may not have those outward badges like baptism, regular communion, and regular attendance to church stuff, seeing them out there serving the poor, generous in their giving, living in contentment and joy, and just genuinely, sacrificially loving Jesus having an intimate relationship with him and loving everyone in their midst, hmm, that's when I'm convicted. But how on earth did they know what to do and what not to do? Because they didn't get baptized. They didn't attend all those BSF courses or small groups or Bible studies or churchy stuff. How did they know that of what to do and what not to do? Well, Paul says, as he quoted from Ezekiel, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables them to fulfill the requirements of the law. It's the Spirit that puts His mark, His badge, onto our hearts and empowers us to fulfill the requirements of God's chosen people. So here's another question. How do we receive the Holy Spirit then? If, that, if the Holy Spirit is the key, He's the key in identifying us and enabling us to live up to the chosen people status and the chosen people badges. If he's the key, 
how do we receive him? Well, when we believe and have the pistuo back in chapter one, the, in the pistuo in Jesus, the faith and faithfulness in the power of the gospel, that's what pistuo means. It's the faith and the faithfulness in the power of the gospel, i.e. Jesus. When we receive Jesus in our lives, we receive the Holy Spirit. When we live in faithfulness, we continually submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit for him to consume us and empower us to be God's chosen people. That's what Ezekiel was prophesizing. That when we invite and when we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, consume us, our behavior, the way we live, will reflect the faithfulness we have in Jesus. Let's move on to chapter 3. Verse 1, then what advantage does the Jew have, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar, as it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God who inflicts wrath is not righteous or is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking from a human viewpoint. Far from it. For otherwise, how would God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abound to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come of it. Their condemnation is deserved. Hui. That's an odd one, eh? Now, let's try to get back to the point, and maybe it will help us to approach this passage. The Jewish Christians must be wondering then. So, Paul, after you said all that in chapter 2, is there anything significant then in being a Jew and having our badges, or are they just useless? Now, after all that Paul said from chapter 2 to a little bit of chapter 3, you might conclude that Paul would say, nope, none at all. So he would side with the Gentile Christians, right? But Paul didn't say that. Let's put this home. When I said that it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to be God's chosen people, some of you may have asked, so John, why do Bible studies then? What's the point of attending worship regularly? Why bother with baptism if really the Holy Spirit does his thing anyways? Similar, right? Well, we must relook at why we have those badges in the first place. Why do we have baptism? Why do we do Bible studies? And why do we have worship? Well, just a few points from the skim at the top. I'm not going to go into depth in each one. Number one, baptism. Baptism is identifying with Jesus and testifying to the world who we belong to and who we swear our allegiance to. That's one reason why we do baptism. Number two, Bible studies and reading God's word is actually to have a conversation with God. Because, hey, just like what Pastor Dan said, it's a relationship with God that we have. Not just a one-directional, monotheistic, supreme God that just gives us whatever we ask or be a butler up there. No! He's a God who wants a relationship with us and therefore he wants a conversation with us. And in order to do that most practically, it's through God's word. And that's why when we do Bible studies and read God's word, we are actually having a conversation with God. Now, 
when we have a conversation with God, we also learn what he's telling us, and which means he gives us more responsibility to live according to that badge. He entrusts us with more knowledge. Therefore, the more we read, the more we study, the more we have a conversation with God, God actually entrusts upon us more responsibility because we have more knowledge. The more we have, the more responsibility we have. Number three, worship. Why do we worship? We worship because we are declaring to the world that God is the God, holy, gracious, merciful, and powerful. This is similar to what circumcision meant for the Jews. Allegiance to God, accepting great responsibility from God, and giving God fully, i.e. separated for God's purpose. So yeah, Paul says these badges and being a Jew does have significance because the Jews were given the knowledge of the law, which meant greater responsibility. They were given these badges because they were separated for God's special purpose. And that defines who they are. They are a people who were separated for God's special purpose. And, that should, and they should remain that way. Now, before the weird straw man dialogue that we had in the latter part of this passage, Paul goes off and quotes Psalm 51.4 before he goes into that. It goes like this, Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. You may wonder, uh, John, that's different from what Paul said, and you are correct. It's because Paul quoted from the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint of the same psalm. And here, I've displayed both the Septuagint Greek version of Psalm 51.4 and what we just read in Greek of Romans 3.4. As you can see, there's pretty much the same up there. Uh, I bolded it just for clarity. Why did I just do that? Why did I give you that Greek? Whenever Paul references an Old Testament passage, we have to also understand the context in which the Old, Te Old Testament passage is found in. In Psalm 51, it's a psalm acknowledging that God is not only the ultimate judge, but also the very one who can cleanse our hearts if we come to him in repentance. That no matter what badges we have, the heart of all those badges is repentance, faithfulness to God through trust and obedience. God will judge, so don't even think that any of us can go on doing what we're doing while thinking that merely carrying the badges are enough. God desires more. God desires our heart, and he will be the judge of our hearts. See, that whole straw man dialogue in that passage that was completely confusing to some, basically Paul was saying to the Gentile Christians and to the Jewish Christians, hey, look, just because you say that you're Christian and just because you are saved by faith or justified by faith, it does not mean that you neglect faithfulness, i.e. living faithfully in Jesus. Our behavior, our actions, everything needs to be pleasing to God and honors God. and has to be, And we have to have a heart that strives to be Christ-like. And that's why he's quoted Psalm 51.4. The psalmist here, the writer, says that he knows that he tries very hard to live up to the obedience and trust and faithfulness in God. But he also knows that there are many times that he fails. That's the type of heart that God desires. That there is this acknowledgement 
that humility and that desire to become more Jesus-like. Yet also, there's this humility and desire to repent and allow God to cleanse us and cleanse our hearts so that our hearts are right with Him again. Folks, it's all about the right relationship with God in this case. Let's move on to chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Now, the Greeks meaning the Gentile Christians. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow! Talk about a lot of quotes from various passages of Psalms and Isaiah. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, none of mankind will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. So back to the conflict between the Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Is one group better than the other? No. Are we Christians who have Christian badges greater than the ones who don't have those badges? I.e. baptism, communion, or uh, they worship regularly on Sundays? No. In fact... There's greater responsibility when we have those badges. But God is still the ultimate judge of our heart's condition, regardless of our badges. We could have these badges, yet if our hearts are not aligned with God's uh, faithfulness, with the faithfulness in God, then he will judge us. We could not have those badges. And if our hearts are not aligned to the faithfulness of God and living faithfully as well, then he will judge us. So everyone... Paul says, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Jewish Christian, or a Gentile Christian, all of us have fallen short many times in living according to what our badges expect from us. And therefore, thanks to God's righteousness, because of his faithfulness to the promise he made regardless of our countless failures, he sent Jesus to provide us a way to fulfill the expectations of our badges by faith. And not only that, but through our faithfulness in Jesus, our faithful living, the way we behave and act, we are empowered and given the power through His Spirit to strive and live according to our badges' expectations. Now, before we finish, I want to conclude with the final video clip from the same movie. And I thought it would be fitting to end with this. So, let's play it. Vincennes, I need your help with something. I'm busy right now. Why don't you just go ask some of your boys on homicide? I can't. I need someone outside of homicide. I want you to tail Bud White till he goes on duty this evening. Why don't you do me a real favor and leave me alone? Do you make the three Negroes for the night owl killings? What? It's a simple question. Why in the world do you want to go digging any deeper into the night owl killings, Lieutenant? Rolo Tomasi. Is there more to that, or am I supposed to guess? Rolo was a purse snatcher. 
My father ran into him off duty. And he shot my father six times and got away clean. No one even knew who he was. I just made the name up to give him some personality. What's your point? Rolo Tomasi's the reason I became a cop. I wanted to catch the guys who thought they could get away with it. It was supposed to be about justice. Then somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. Why'd you become a cop? Welcome back. When Detective Exley, or Lieutenant Exley, uh, asked, uh, I can't remember, like uh, uh, Detective Jack Vincennes, um, Kevin Spacey's character, why did you become a cop? Or why did, you be, why did you desire to have that badge? Jack Vincennes, how did he respond? I don't remember. And I wonder if we as Christians, when we... Those, those initial days when we receive those badges of baptism, especially baptism, and communion or Sunday worship, do we even remember why we do those things? Do we even remember uh, why we became a Christian in the first place? Or what these badges represent and what is expected of us and how we should live when we have those badges? Jack Vincennes. If you don't know uh, the movie L.A. Confidential, he, he just completely sold out. He was a, a cop, and, but he sold out to fame and fortune. Um, he, he even sold out for just a merely 50 bucks uh, to sell out uh, secrets of the police to Hollywood. And uh, when Detective Exley, Lieutenant Exley asked him, do you remember why you became a cop in the first place? Jack Vincennes was convicted. He just said, I can't remember. And the question for us today to conclude is the same question that I think Paul asked the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Do you even remember why you were the chosen people of God? He was asking the Jewish Christians. Do you remember why you were the chosen people of God and why you had those badges, the circumcision, the Torah, and the Sabbath? And then he would turn to the other audience, the Gentile Christians, who were probably smirking because, you know, this whole passage seems like it's attacking the Jewish Christians. And then he would say the same thing to the Gentile Christians. Do you remember why you became a Christian? Why you have baptism? Why you have communion? And why do you have Sabbath? Why do you worship God in the first place? Because our faith and our faithfulness have to reflect that of why we have these badges. In other words, our badges need to be supported by our faith and our faithfulness, our pastoral in Jesus, our hearts. God will judge our hearts. It doesn't matter what badges we carry. He will judge our hearts. All of God's chosen people will be judged. And God will judge those, us, you and I, by our hearts. And therefore, do you remember or do you and I remember why we became a Christian in the first place? Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Till next time, have a wonderful week.